Amen. Would you please stand? Please remain standing. Maya, I believe, wherever, there's Maya, come, will come and read our scripture for us this morning. Uh, our scripture comes out of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And Maya will be reading, um, I believe, out of the English Standard Version this morning. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samariah and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Giving him thanks, now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to, uh, to return and give praise to Je Jesus except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me? There is a balm in Gilead. To make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to save a singing sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged. You know, and I feel like I can't go on. Oh, but then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again, revives my soul, my soul again. There is a balm in Gilead. To make the wounded whole, there is a balm in Gilead to save the sin-sick soul. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you know there's an election coming up. Did anybody know that there's an election coming up just in a few short days? Maybe you have watched just a bit about the elections coming up. I don't know if you watched the, uh, the two very, very different debates that we've had or any of the speeches by any of our politicians or any of the thousands and thousands of television commercials that we have been that we have been watching in Oklahoma it seems like we have been bombarded with television or with television advertisements this year dealing with this upcoming election not only the presidential election but also um, Congress, uh, various houses or various seats in Congress, and we also have uh, we also have some state questions as well. But one of the things that has been dominating this election cycle, like really it has over the last three or four or five or sixty election cycles, is healthcare. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? I remember as a teenager, one of the, one of the big, big issues was, uh, was Medicare and how Medicare was going to absolutely fall apart if it, wasn't, if it wasn't funded more. And well, I mean, obviously I'm way older than a teenager and uh, they figured that one out. And then it was just a couple of election cycles ago, there was universal health care was, was, was being talked about. Universal health care continues to be talked about. Healthcare is at the very forefront of our mind as Americans. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you are, your life is very, very similar 
to my life, my insurance, health insurance costs continue to rise. It could be because that I'm getting a little bit older and they've recognized uh, how much, how much uh, costlier it is to insure me uh, with my health care costs than it was when I was much younger. Uh, but as United Methodist clergy, we, I am required to be part of our uh, United Methodist clergy health care system. And so meaning it doesn't matter whether I want that insurance or not, I've got to take that insurance, much like many of us have the exact same things. We take the kind of health insurance that our, that our uh, employers offer to us. But health care is on the very forefront of our minds, and we are not the only ones when health care or our health was at the very forefront of their, of their minds. The same thing was taking place in the Bible. Today we're continuing our series dealing with these children's stories, or they're often viewed as children's stories, these very, very simple stories of the Bible. We often look at these stories, again, as children's stories. These are the, these are the kinds of things that, that show up in children's Bible story books. But we have found that these stories have deep and significant theological meaning for us today as well. And so today we're looking at this story uh, very briefly, we're going to be looking at this story of Jesus healing and cleansing the ten lepers. And really what we're going to be doing very briefly is looking at the overall healing ministry of Jesus. And I hope that you came expecting today. I don't know if you read our newsletter that went out earlier this week in my article, but we are going to be having a service of healing. In the United Methodist Church, in the United Methodist Book of Worship, we have a service of healing. Now, this is more than just, I think, eh, just kind of going through the motions so people will feel better as they're sick. No, we believe. We believe that God actually heals today. We believe that. We believe that God actually heals today. And so very briefly, we're going to look at the overall healing ministry of Jesus. We're going to be looking at um, what is the meaning of healings, why why, why was Jesus involved in, in a healing ministry? And then finally, we're going to look at how we can prepare ourselves for healing that I believe God wants to bring each and every one of us. So first, let's look at generally some of the, some of the general healing ministry of Jesus. There were, in, uh, in the Gospels, there are 29 specific people who are healed by Jesus. There are four other times when there is a mass healing of Jesus, meaning he went someplace, and the Bible says, uh, many people brought to him the sick among their community, and he healed them. So there were four instances like that, but there were 29 instances in which Jesus healed specific individuals. Individuals. Um, oftentimes, and we find this three or four or five times in the Gospels, that Jesus healed someone of leprosy. Uh, the word leprosy, now if you've been around the church much, you've probably heard about leprosy because they talked about leprosy in the Bible. But if you've not been around the church, more than likely, you've never heard of that disease, leprosy. It's fairly rare in today's time. Um, it appears, it appears in, in, the, in the biblical understanding of leprosy, it appears as though that there were multiple skin disorders that were referred to as leprosy. Archaeologists have discovered some human remains that seem to be quite disfigured, 
um, by some sort of, they believe, skin disease that then uh, worked its way into the, into the soft tissues and even into the bone structure. And they found, uh, they found uh, some of that kind of stuff. And they, they believe that uh, what was known oftentimes as leprosy likely could have been cured by a simple antibiotic in today's time. However, obviously, they didn't have an antibiotic in Jesus' day, and so God used a different way to cure them and to heal them. There is a disease today which is known as, as leprosy, and, and um, now this disease certainly would have been lumped into those skin disorders that would have been known as leprosy. It's called Hansen's disease, and it is a chronic infection that, that affects swelling in the nerve endings in the respiratory system and also in the skin. Oftentimes it presents itself with lots of lesions on the skins. And so it's known again as Hansen's disease, but because of those skin lesions, uh, it is known also as leprosy. There are uh, leper colonies, people who, uh, who are inflicted with Hansen's disease. There are leper colonies in India uh, and also in the Philippines. Around 100 Americans per year are inflicted with this disease, Hansen's disease or leprosy. Again, this disease is not easily uh, contracted. It's not easily spread between one another. Um, however, however, one of the problems with Hansen's disease is that it often lies dormant in the system, oftentimes for years, even up to 10 years. And so once it shows up, people have no idea where they contracted that disease. And so that's one of the reasons that it makes it so very scary. In the 14th century, Hansen's disease showed up and it began to ravage Europe. They're really not exactly sure where it comes from or where it came from. And again, it's not easily spread among people, but there was uh, typically, uh, it is more prevalent among cultures that are very, very poor, those who are in a subtropical climate, uh, and those with um, really some, uh, well, poor health care and, and some things like that. So we do have leprosy that is, uh, that is present today. In the 13th chapter of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus is the book of the, of the Old Testament where God, where God outlines all of, all of the rules for these Jewish people. In chapter 13, uh, it talks about skin disorders. And it is an entire chapter. If you're a little queasy, I would, I would encourage you probably to stay away from chapter 13 of the book of Leviticus. It talks about all of these skin disorders, uh, about, about what a rash here means or what a rash here looks like. And if, the, and if it changes the color of the hair, you need to do one thing. If there, if there is an open wound, you need to do another thing. Uh, but but in chapter 13 of Leviticus, they took very, very seriously skin disorders. They, they, they took very seriously skin disorders, uh, one, because that's what God told them to do. I believe that God wanted them to take those disorders very seriously, for one, because they could be communicable, meaning they could be spread very, very easily oftentimes in that culture. And so uh, if someone had a skin disorder, they were to seclude themselves, but also in the Old Testament understanding. In the Old Testament understanding, if there was a flaw among people, they were considered religiously unclean. And so they needed to be 
ceremonially and religiously cleansed before they were able then to come before the Lord and worship appropriately. In, chapter, or in verses 45 and 46 of Leviticus chapter 13, it says, anyone with such a defiling disease, again, a, meaning a skin disease or, or leprosy, anyone with leprosy must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside of the camp. And so because of verses 45 and 46 of chapter 13 of Leviticus, people who had leprosy literally were forced to live outside of the city walls. They were forced to live outside the city walls, outside of the protection of those walls, out in their own camps. And if they ever did come in and intermingle with other people, they were, they were to, uh, again, have their hair unkempt. They were to wear a face covering. And, I mean, we know what that's like, don't we? I mean, I've, I've sat, I sat home the first couple of weeks watching Netflix with my hair unkempt wearing a mask as well. However, however, they, they also, when they came among the people, they had, to, um, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean. It was an awful, horrible, disastrous existence. And so these 10 men who were shouting out at Jesus, more than likely they were asking for help from anyone who passed that way, but they recognized Jesus and they shouted out to him, Master, have mercy upon us. Master, Jesus, have mercy upon us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cured of their leprosy. It's an astounding thing. Jesus didn't even have to lay hands on these people. Other times we find him laying hands on people and touching people with leprosy. But Jesus didn't even have to do that. So the reason Jesus sent them to the priest was so that they could be let back into culture. They had been secluded from culture. They had been pushed on the outside of culture, literally. And Jesus sent them to the priest so then they could be shown that they had, didn't have leprosy anymore and they could move back home with their families. They could go back to shopping in the, uh, in, in, in the local store. They, they, could, they could go ahead and, and, and continue their their normal, normal lives. It was like getting a negative COVID test. They, they were free. They would be free to move about and to take off their coverings and to comb their hair. But there was one, only one of those 10 who came back and to thank Jesus, and he was a Samaritan. The one thing, if you were a Jew, that was worse than being a leper was being a Samaritan. And so it was this man who had been a leper, but was also a Samaritan. He was the one. He was the one that came back. Jesus asked him, 
Were there not ten who were cleansed? Where are, where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to this Samaritan, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Other translations say, Your faith has made you whole, or your faith has healed you. The message translation says, Your faith has healed you and saved you. That likely is the best translation I found. In, in the original language, that, that word to be made whole or to be healed or to be well is the word sozo which almost every other time in the New Testament, it's translated as salvation, meaning that what this one received was far greater than what the other nine had received. They had just received a physical kind of touch by the Lord, but this man had been deeply, deeply spiritually touched. He had been made whole. He had been made whole. And that's what healing really is about. It's what healing really is about. In, John, or in Luke's gospel, I find it fascinating that Luke was a physician. And it is in Luke's gospel that we find more healings of Jesus than any other gospel accounts. Jesus heals more in Luke's gospel than any of the other Gospels. We find it when he touched a man with leprosy. We find it when there was a man who was paralyzed. We saw that already, and his friends lowered him through the roof. We found a man in chapter 6, a man with a shriveled hand. We find in chapter 7, Jesus heals a, a, Jesus heals a centurion servant. We had a, a widow's son who died, and Jesus raised him back to life. I mean, time and time and time again in Luke's gospel, we find Jesus healing. We find Jesus. And even, even on the very last night as he was arrested, every gospel, uh, every gospel records this. But only Luke's gospel records what happened. You remember when he was arrested? He was there in the garden, and the soldiers came to arrest him. And one of his disciples drew his sword and cut off one of the soldier's ears. It's only in Luke's gospel that it says that Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him. In Luke's gospel, we have Jesus healing time and time and time again. So what, what is, what, what's the meaning? What's the meaning of this healing ministry of Jesus. Well, I, there are a number of things. Very quickly, I, I think that the healing ministry of Jesus was a status, status inversion, meaning that the low were lifted up and the high were brought low time and again. You remember when Jesus healed on the Sabbath? It was the Pharisees, the high Pharisees were brought low by Jesus because they were accusing him of doing something wrong. And it was the lowly man who had been who had been ill and afflicted. And, and in the Old Testament thought, the Old Testament thought was this, that if you were sick, you obviously had done something wrong. It was because of your sinfulness that you were sick. But Jesus reversed that and said, no, it, it wasn't because of their sinfulness. No, not at all. And so it was, a, it was an inversion, a status inversion. He brought the low and he raised them, he raised them up. Likewise, Jesus showed compassion. 
We have a compassionate God, not a God who is unconcerned with our lives or suffering, but a God who is engaged in our daily lives as well. It's a sign of authority. It's a sign of of Jesus' authority. It's a sign of the authority of God, a God who can supersede the laws of physics and nature. You know, science is so very important, but there is some, someone that is even far greater than the power of gravity, <laughs> and that is the Lord our God. And then finally, I think it is a glimpse into the kingdom of God. You see, in the kingdom of God, we find in the Garden of, Inim, or Garden of Eden, we also find a description of, the, of really the, the fruition and the completion of the kingdom of God in the book of Revelation that our adult Sunday school class has been, has been looking at. And we have found that there is a description of, the, uh, of, that, of that culmination of the kingdom of God where there, is, there are no more tears, there is no more sickness. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've used that kind of terminology when it comes to memorial services or funerals. I almost always say this. You know, we have, we have held the hands. We've held the hand of, of our deceased loved one time and again. And we have prayed for their healing and praise the Lord. Today they are ultimately healed. Today is the day of their healing. And so when there is healing that occurs, either in this lifetime or ultimate healing that comes in death, it is a sign of the kingdom of God, the reign, the reign of God. Over the last 22 and a half years, I have, I have prayed at the bedside of those who are sick. I've prayed for people who have had colds. I have prayed people. I have prayed for people who are seriously, seriously ill. I have I have prayed for people who literally are on their deathbeds, and I have seen miraculous healings occur. I've seen miraculous healings occur. I've 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 been told by others after after the church offers prayer for them that they feel better, that that headache has been numbed and eventually goes away, that that back pain has been has been eased, that surgery turned out wonderfully, the cancer treatments are beginning are beginning to work. I have seen I have seen literally dozens and dozens and dozens of people that are healed. Oftentimes it takes days and weeks and months before we began to see healing take place. But there are other times as well that I have seen God work instantaneously. And we believe, we believe that God can and that God does heal instantaneously. God's primary way of working in our world is through human agencies. He works through people oftentimes. God primarily works through the laws of nature and works through people. He leads them and prompts them so they too may be involved in his work. So, for example, for example, so, so there's a, I, I was raised around a, a community that had a group of, uh, it was a, really a Christian sect uh, that did not believe in going to doctors. They still don't believe in going to doctors. 
And there was a large group of them in, in a neighboring community. And I got, I got to know them over the years. And they believed that it was actually sinful to go to the doctor. Because in going to the doctor, they said, then that is proof that you don't really trust God. You trust your doctor instead. I, I just, I, I find that uh, illogical, to be honest. I don't find that biblical as well. That would be like sitting down at an empty table It'd be like sitting down at an empty table and sitting there and saying, Lord, I am hungry, and I, all the while having an entirely full pantry, having uh, access to lots of food, but sitting down at an empty table and beginning to thank the Lord for the food that he was going to be providing for us and expecting that God was simply going to plop down a, a ready-made meal on our table. No, that's not, that's not, I mean, that's illogical, isn't it? I mean, just because we pray and just because we prepare our own food does not mean that we're not thankful for that food. It doesn't. No, we are just as thankful for that food as if God had simply plopped down a meal because we know ultimately where that sustenance came from. It came from the Lord. And so when we go to our doctors, it's not as if we don't have enough faith to trust the Lord. No, we know that the Lord has given us doctors and we thank the Lord for the care of our doctors. By the way, I have a dear, dear friend in Enid, Oklahoma. He did not attend my church there in Enid. Uh, but Dr. Snyder was a dear friend, uh, just one of my best friends ever. And Dr. Snyder is an incredible person of faith. He's been a family doctor for almost 40 years. He's delivered lots and lots and lots of babies. He uh, is a medical director at, a, at a, a nursing home there in Enid. He has over 1,500 patients there in his family practice. Uh, he's an old school family, family doctor. And one of the things that Tom does is that he prays for his patients. Have you ever been prayed for your doctor? Have you ever been prayed for your doctor? How many of you would like for your doctor to pray for you? How many of you would like for your doctor to pray for you? Absolutely. And, and those of you who are here in the medical profession, either here on, uh, in person or online, I want you to know basically everyone here raised their hand. Raised their hand. Those of you who are in the medical field, and I know so many, I mean, you are people of faith. But it may be, it may be that the Lord sometimes may even prompt you to pray out loud for your patients if your place of work allows, allows that. And my dear friend, Dr. Snyder, he will do that from time, from time to time. And he has, he has, so, many, he has so many stories, as, as do everyone uh, who works in the medical profession. He has so many stories of God prompting him to be at the right place at, at the right time. He, he would simply hear a word, Tom, you need to check on so-and-so there at the nursing home, and he would call about them and, and catch them right before they went into a diabetic coma or, 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 to, or to check on someone else, and, and he was able to do the right test right before they had a massive, massive heart attack. And it was the Lord's prompting of him. And I know that others who are in the medical profession, you've experienced, you've experienced the, the, exact, the exact same thing. You are absolutely absolutely God's hands and feet in the healing ministry never doubt that those of you who are in the medical in the medical profession God sometimes miraculously 
instantaneously heals. Sometimes. I don't understand it, and I don't know why. I do know, I do know this. If God did it every time, we wouldn't need doctors and medical professionals and hospital, hospitals. And those are, by and large, the ways that we experience God's healings in our lives. And oftentimes, I have found that God wants us to be partners with him in God's, in God's presence in this world. And so if God healed every single time, we wouldn't need, we wouldn't need people like Dr. Woodson, or, or we, we, would, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't need others like, uh, like Ron and, and, and others. We wouldn't need them. But instead, God has put them in our lives to help him out. So... Dr. Frank Stangman, Stangman Baker, or Stangman, Dr. Frank Stangman, um, Stanger uh, was the, was a, uh, the uh, president of Asbury Theological Seminary in the 1960s. And Dr. Stanger had an incredible healing ministry throughout his life, wrote some of the great works and some of the great books on healing. And Dr. Stanger has a number of suggestions for us as we think about um, as we think about uh, healing ministry. The healing, healing is not primarily, however. Healing is not, is, 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 the, the primary person of healing is not alleviation of suffering or pain and sickness, but to bring people closer to God. That's what healing is about. That's the purpose of healing. It's not necessarily to alleviate pain and suffering and sickness. Those things are part of our world. And I've, as I look back on my own life, those things have a, have a way of, of sharpening me. They have, a, they have a way of fine-tuning my relationship with the Lord. The purpose of healing and wholeness and peace is to draw people closer to the Lord. Closer to the Lord. And so this morning, as you come, as you come forward this morning, as we begin to think about what this might mean for us on this day, I will tell you once again, I hope that you came expecting. I hope that you came expecting because I believe that the Lord wants to do a work in our midst this morning. If I can maybe go to the next slide. There we go. Um, so Dr. Stanger has some suggestions for those who are, those who are thinking that, you know, I may, I may need a touch from the Lord this morning. Again, whether it is a, a physical ailment, whether you have been sick, whether you have been diagnosed with the doctor, whether there is something physically going, wrong, going on with you, I believe that God wants to touch you physically. I also believe that those of you who are struggling with some emotional issues, maybe, maybe it's a, um, I don't know, maybe it's a, it's a memory that you need to be healed of. Maybe it's a relationship that has been broken for quite some time and, and it simply needs to be mended. Maybe there is there's something going internally. I, what I, I found over the last six or seven months, anxiety levels have just simply skyrocketed. I am finding more and more people who are struggling with anxiety than, than almost really any time in my over 22 years of ministry. Or maybe, or maybe there is something spiritual going on and you need a touch from the Lord spiritually. Well, here's some things that Dr. Stanger would tell us. First, 
First, he says, we need to relax. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46 says. He goes on to say, he goes on to say, the presence of God cannot be realized in a restless spirit. So it may be this morning as we begin to sing our songs, it may just be that you need to just take just a few moments to breathe deeply and simply to relax. Then he begins to talk about purging, meaning we need to be purged from all of the sin in our lives. Our healing is not dependent upon, upon how, how righteous we are or how religious we are. No, not at all. But I have found that sin and sickness oftentimes go hand in hand. Meaning, meaning this, meaning this, if, if, you are, if you are someone who is, I don't know, maybe addicted to, um, um, you know, double cheeseburgers, <laughs> I think that may be a, a sin. And with that then comes lots of sickness, doesn't it? I mean, heart disease and obesity and all kinds of stuff. There is a connection. There's some sort of connection between sin and sickness to, and not, I mean, I don't always, I don't think that there's a one-to-one relationship always, but sometimes, oftentimes there is, and so we need to be, we need to be seeking the forgiveness of our Lord. The third step he talked about is clarification, meaning we need to be very clear. Rather than coming to the Lord and just say, Lord, I need a touch from you today, you're Lord, I don't know, I'm just not really feeling very good. No, be very, very specific. Be very clear in what you're asking the Lord to do. Pinpointing where it is that pain is. Pinpointing that relationship that needs to be healed. Pinpointing that part of your heart that needs to be healed with the Lord. Anticipation, the fourth step, or the fifth step, anticipating that God is going to do something in your life. It's more, it's more than just kind of a hope. Well, Lord, I hope that you can do something. No, anticipating that the Lord is actually going to do something. And then finally, appropriation, meaning walking in that healing. I believe, I believe that God always wants to heal us. Always wants to heal us in, in body, in, in mind, in spirit. And so as the band comes and begins to play, uh, as we begin to, as they begin to play, I'm simply going to, I'm going to um, have a, well, first I'm going to have a, a prayer out of our United Methodist book of worship. But then also, I'm going to be available with some anointing oil. The oil is nothing special. It is simply a symbol of God's anointing. It's always been used as a symbol of God's anointing. And then I will be laying hands upon those who would like for me to pray with them or to pray for them. Would you, would you bow with me as I, as I give thanks to God for this anointing oil? Would you bow with me? Oh God, the giver of health and salvation, we give you thanks for the gift of oil. As your holy apostles anointed many who were sick and healed them, so pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon this gift that those who in faith and repentance receive this anointing 
may be made whole through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.